barriers or walls tonight that we may just lower anything that is putting distance between us and you, Father. Put these things in your name. Amen. Hey, Collective, it's good to see you. Can we give it up for the worship team real quick? <laughs> Phenomenal. Phenomenal. As you find your seat, turn to somebody and let them know how your Easter was. Let them know Easter traditions, if it was good, if it was bad. Anyone do an adult Easter egg hunt? Anybody? Okay, one person in the room knows how to have fun, I guess. Uh, anyone like anti-Easter egg hunts? Anyone like think they're, okay, no, so we're good. No judgmental people in the room. Thank God. Well, hey, uh, welcome to Collective Young Adults. My name is Nick, and uh, it feels good to be here with you guys. I missed you guys last week, and uh, I'm excited to be here tonight with you all. Um, and it's, it's been a really good week. I don't know how your week has been, but I, I've had a really, really good week. And um, I'm excited about tonight. I think, I think the Lord's already doing something in this room. Wouldn't you agree? I believe the Lord's already doing something in this space and in this place. And uh, I'm excited to, to step into that more tonight with you. But if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. And I, and I want to begin tonight by asking you a question. Asking the question, it's this, have you ever been misunderstood? Maybe, yeah, all of you are like, what? That's like my daily life. Um, I'm the middle child. Of course I'm misunderstood. <laughs> have you ever been misunderstood, right? All of us would say yes, of course, at some point in my life. So maybe you're like a little quirky person. like, I'm always misunderstood. Nobody gets me. But maybe that's you. I don't know. But uh, all of us at some point in our life, we, we've been misunderstood. I think misunderstandings is kind of a necessary evil in life, whether it's the person at the fast food spot you're at misunderstanding your order and you said four McNuggets meals and you got two and you already paid for it and you're not a non you're a non-confrontational person, so you just eat the two, you shelled out the fifty already, it's worth it, whatever, who cares? Maybe it's misunderstandings in relationship. You you misunderstood each other and you communicated something that the person thought they understood, and then somebody ends up getting friend zoned. Ouch. Tough, tough. That one was too real for some of us in the room. Misunderstandings are everywhere. For me in my own life, um, the, the most obvious and blatant example I have of this is, is one summer I got to uh, work at a skate park. So I literally got paid to skateboard all summer and, and put kids' arms back in place and memorize their names. Like that was my three roles. They're like, Nick, you get to skate, make sure nobody breaks their arms, and if they do, call 911, and then just make sure you know people's name and share the good news of Jesus with them. I actually, one kid broke his arm, and his elbow was on top of his arm. So that was a no-no. Yeah, he never skateboarded after that ever again. But I remember this one kid one summer, um, I called him Aiden, and he responded to the name Aiden. Uh, and he was there for like three months, the entirety of summer. He was here every single day at the skate park. And I would say, Aiden, what's up, dude? I'd, like, dap him up. And he'd be skateboarding. Like, Aiden, that was such a cool trick, man. He'd leave. Like, Aiden, we'll see you later. Just, it was just him and his brother. Got a, I, I knew his brother's name, but I, this kid's name, he, his name was Aiden. He responded to it. He, he let me call him Aiden. The three months ended, and he was walking out of the park one day. And I say, Aiden, dude, it was so good getting to know you this summer. See you next summer. And he turns around from the gate with his fists clenched. His helmet on, because you have to wear a helmet. And he turns around. He says, my name is Fabian. I literally got this kid's name wrong for three months, and he never corrected me. Oh, my gosh. 
I was like, oh, I didn't. I wanted to die. I wanted to be absorbed into the ground. You ever have a moment like that? Like, I would be okay with ceasing to exist right now. I misunderstood. There was a misunderstanding between me and Fabian, not Aiden. <laughs> Misunderstandings are everywhere. And, and the text we're going to read and, and talk through tonight, I would say one of the most misunderstood figures in all of history is the person we're going to read about by the name of Jesus. I believe Jesus is one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented people in history. And not even from, from secular culture at large and Time Magazine doing the Da Vinci Code thing every year or whatever. I'm talking about even from Jesus' own disciples, often they misunderstood and had incorrect expectations of what it meant to follow Jesus and then what it meant to live out the way of Jesus after he left this earth. And so tonight, in the rearview mirror of, of having Easter, we've concluded our series, Lo series Love is in the Air. Um, hopefully, God spoke to you during that series and just equipped you better in that realm. And if you did not see that series or listen to it, it's on the podcast. It's not going to be on YouTube. Um, but I wanted to teach something topical tonight in, in, in the realm of we understand Easter. We get excited about Easter. Some of us do Easter egg hunts, and, and we go to Easter service, and Easter is a big deal because it's when Jesus resurrected. But I think we forget to ask the question of that follow-up of what about right after Easter, though? I, I feel like this topic within the church often just gets kind of ran over. Like Jesus resurrected, but as his followers, we think, okay, but what did he resurrect for, right? Uh, like, okay, we, we're just expected he resurrected, he ascended, and then we just have to figure it out from there. Hopefully we have the right expectations. Hopefully we're, we're understanding what his words have said correctly. But I find if the people who walked with Jesus for three years in his ministry misunderstood him, 2,000 years removed, we're going to have some, some struggles at times. Understanding Jesus and having the correct expectation of Jesus. My dad used to have this phrase. He was a, a blue-collar landscaping business owner. He, he was very straightforward, loved fishing. He'd have this phrase, and it, it was, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Right? He was, if, you, if you have a straightforward father, um, I mean, we could throw the title up now, but um, they would say, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Well, tonight I want, I want to ask the question, are we picking up what he's putting down? I'm not talking about my dad. I'm talking about Jesus. Are we, are we picking up what Jesus has put down for us to follow? And just like... People can misunderstand him in the first century. I believe we can misunderstand him now. And how do we set the correct expectations for what it means to follow Jesus? So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So right out the gate, we're introduced to this character, Theophilus. The author is the apostle Luke who wrote the gospel. Luke, good job. <laughs> Luke. Right, So Luke opens up, the gospel of Luke opens up in a very similar way. He's writing to this character, this individual by the name of Theophilus. So you can look at the book of Acts as almost Luke part two because it's the same author, similar writing style, Dr. Luke. It says this in verse two, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them... He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John was baptized 
John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him, almost interrupting him, asking him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Then he continues what he was saying, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, what are you doing? Oh, no, no, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Pretty much, what are you doing? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So I'd say... Um, and when it comes to shoes, I'm a little bit obsessed personally, okay? I'm a little bit of a, of a shoe craze person. And um, I'm not as crazy as some people, though, when it comes to shoes. There's some people I know when it comes to their shoes, you cannot step on their shoe. They do not want to crease their shoe. They walk like a penguin in their shoes. And they're, they're always talking about their shoes and how much they spent on their shoes. I don't know if you guys have heard this phrase, a sneakerhead, right? I, I, there's many people I know that would be dubbed this phrase almost to an unhealthy extent. And, and the things people do and the extents people go to protect their shoes, I think, is a little ridiculous. I actually was looking into this. If somebody's developed a company selling bags to put over your shoes to protect them, and somebody actually developed a company where you zip over your shoes a bag, I think we have a photo of it. Um, these sell for $20. I think those are like Air Maxes. I don't know why you protect those. But anyway, um, these are $20 bags that you put over your shoe. I think there's one more photo, and it has a photo of the shoe on the outside of the bag. So it's like, no, 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 trust me, there's some heat in this bag. Let me tell you something. Okay, $400 in this bag, all right? It's a photo, but that's what's in the bag. You know what I'm saying? Like, some people are a little bit ridiculous when it comes to protecting their sneakers to an extent that I think it's, it's a little toxic, okay? When it comes to following Jesus, we have to be willing to get our shoes a little dirty. When it, when it comes to following Jesus, we, we have to realize it's time to get some dirt on our shoes. Now, I'm not talking about go around and start scuffing everybody's shoes and, and like, lighting them on fire or something. What I'm saying is, when it, when it comes to following Jesus, the instructions of Jesus in, this fr in, the, in these few passages before he ascends, before he leaves earth, he leaves very specific instructions for his disciples that still lie true till this day. And one of the first things Jesus tells them, and it seems random, it, it seems out of nowhere, he says this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we have to understand, Jesus has been hanging around the disciples for 40 days. If you've read through the Gospels, and by the way, I remember becoming a new believer and reading through the Gospels and being like, man, I think there's a typo in this version of my Bible because the Bible just keeps repeating itself. Like I read the Matthew, and then I'm reading Mark, and it's like the same thing over and over. Just me? Okay, maybe I needed to get my brain checked. But... I remember reading the Gospels, and th there's different endings to each Gospel. And, and some people can read this and be kind of frustrated and confused as to why there's a different ending each time. But we have to understand these are different perspectives over the span of the 40 days. And it tells us this in, in this first chapter, in these first verses. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit, through his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
So you have to understand something. Jesus was just killed by Rome through the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, the Jewish authority of the day. So to go and follow after Jesus, to go be somebody who claims the name of Jesus in Jerusalem at that time, would have made you public enemy number one. It, w- it would have made you have like a wanted poster around town with your face on it. Because ki- he was just killed by the government, and the ruling religious authority of the day made it happen. And so to be a Jewish man claiming that Jesus was real and that you're a follower of him, you would risk your life. And so the followers, though, here's the deal. They were so convinced, they, they were so swayed after these three years with Jesus that they could not deny him. That there, there was no ability for them to deny Jesus on their own free will. That they walked with him, they talked with him, they physically saw him. To, to then deny him just, it, it would have counteracted, it would have contradicted something within them. I believe this is why Judas Iscariot commits suicide after betraying Jesus because he is so cut up and, and caught up over the idea of betraying the innocent man that was God in the flesh, that he couldn't even deny the reality of what had taken place. And so they're presented with this difficulty. But what they've experienced and seen, they can't deny. But what they've experienced and seen is treacherous to believe in where they live. It's not comfortable to be a Jesus follower in Jerusalem at this time. And so what Jesus is saying is, you're going to be tempted to want to leave Jerusalem, go somewhere where my name is not as known, where people will be a little bit more easier, where culture will be a little bit more accepting of this ideology, of this belief of who I am, but you need to stay faithful in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And for us as, as followers of Jesus, I believe that this still rings true to this day. So I believe there's a fine line we walk as followers of Jesus, especially as young adults, between faithfulness and comfort. I, be- I believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to be faithful but not comfortable. And if you want to ask the difference between faithfulness and comfort, I, I believe it relies on verse 5 what Jesus says. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're asking the question of, God, where do you want me? God, where, where do you desire me to live? Do you want me to live in Albuquerque? Right? And that's, that's a tall ask, Lord, but I'll do it. I want to. I want to move to Florida. Supposedly, everyone wants to move to Florida. What, where do you want me, Lord? If you're asking these questions, God, do you want me to do missions overseas? Where Where do you desire me to go? I, I believe it first relies on relying on the Holy Spirit, talking with the Holy Spirit before it relies on our personal strengths, our personal abilities, our personal skill set. If you've ever read the New Testament, if you've ever read Acts, which is pretty much the early church, what church is supposed to look like, right? If you want to know what church looks like, just read Acts. It's a beautiful book. But you ever read Acts or or read the New Testament epistles and letters, and you're like, man, there's, like, cool stuff going on. There's people being healed. There's people being, like, the shame and the guilt they lived in, they're free from that. There's people being baptized. There's, like, mass revival happening. Like, how did the early apostles do that? Did they plant, like, a super cool podcast with the influencer? Like, like, did they just film, like, those reels where they're dancing? And it was like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is real because of this dance on TikTok. Like, what was it? We begin to ask these questions. We go in, like, marketing mode. The truth is, is they were reliant upon the Holy Spirit before their own ability. They, they, they relied upon the Holy Spirit and going before God and asking him what he desires before saying what they're good at. I think the danger of what we can do in this modern day and age where All the information we could ever desire and want is at our fingertips is to rely on just learning and getting knowledge and and being the best at something. And I'm all for succeeding. I'm all for doing well. But I wonder how many times we make a plan, 
we commit to the plan and we say, oh, God, uh, do you want in on this, right? You remember, uh, uh, like, growing up in first and second grade and, and the, like, the little train, you had to be in the line. Does anybody remember this? You can show your hands. Okay, do, does anybody remember being the caboose? Yes. Okay. I always wanted to be the caboose. It's like, yes, I am in charge, keeping the line of file. I'm the leader here, secretly. It's the teacher and then Nick, okay? That's authority, what's going on. I believe when it, when it comes to our plans, we, we kind of get on this train, and then we're like, oh, I guess, I guess God, you can tag along. Ho- hopefully, God, you bless it. I, I, I'm going to step in, and if it doesn't go well, ask for forgiveness. I'll do whatever it takes. But how often do we just sit in silence, put our phones away, unplug from the opinions of all the people swirling around us, all the complaints we're shelling out, and, and we just sit before the Lord and say, God, what do you desire? And we sit for like five minutes and just wait. Like just to sit in silence for five minutes. Is that a part of our day? Is that a part of our rhythms? See, Jesus followed the voice of the Holy Spirit. And over nine times in the Gospels, it says he went to a secluded, lonely place to talk with the Father. Nine times. There's nothing mentioned John until the Garden of Gethsemane. But nine times throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus went away from everybody and went before the Father. And so if we want to get some dirt on our shoes, if we want to be willing to step into the calling God has for us and let it be uncomfortable, be faithful, I think we first need to step into where God wants us to be in the first place. I believe we need to step into the space with Jesus and ask him what he desires from our life. Because the truth is, the apostles, they're able to do all this amazing, beautiful stuff. You hear beautiful stories of the early church. And the truth is they relied on the Holy Spirit before relying on our own personal ability. Because this is also a reason, uh, John chapter 16, verse 1 to 7, let me read it to you. This is Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, the helper. It says this, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. But very truly, verse 7, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the helper will not come to you. Do we view the Holy Spirit in our life? Do we, do we view him as the helper? Do, do, we, do we view this dynamic relationship that we've been invited into? And Jesus says it will give you power. That word is rendered, the original word for dynamite comes from that word. That, that the Holy Spirit will give you ability. And we think like, Holy Spirit's going to make me a Jedi. No, not power in that way. But Jesus is saying it will give you power and ability to, in, in the face of everybody standing against you, to stand in my name. It, it will give you power and ability that when everybody is against you, you know I'm with you. See, the disciples had no other choice but to trust the Holy Spirit. They had no other choice. They were being put out of their church and being killed. They were being persecuted. They had no other option. And I believe for us to step into faithfulness to Jesus, we needed to eliminate some of the options that we're choosing instead of him in our life. So that's the first thing. It's time to get, our shoe. it's time to get some dirt on our shoes. It's time to take the uh, zippers off of these little plastic bags, being comfortable, Going somewhere because maybe God's called me to go to the beach. I just feel really called to Hawaii because it's just the, the Holy Spirit's in the air there, right? Not Nevada or other places. The truth is uh, everybody wants to be good at something. 
Everybody wants to be good at something. It's, admi it's admirable when people are good at things. Wouldn't you agree? Like, all we're doing right now as young adults is like, what, am I, what the heck am I good at? Okay, I, I tried this degree. Not good at that. Okay, I tried this degree. It makes a lot of money, but I'm really not good at it. We, we try careers. We try different things. I, being a young adult is kind of like still in the tutorial phase of the game, right? It's like, I really don't know what I'm good at, and it's okay if you don't know that yet. All right, you got time, I think. But being good at things, it, it's what we desire in life. But, but there's traits and things you don't want to be good at. <laughs> there's things in your life you, don't, you do not want to be known as being good at. And one of these things is being somebody who assumes things. Being an, a, a presumptuous person, an assumer. Okay, I looked that word up. It's real. Assumer. You could be an assumer. <laughs> you don't want to be good at assuming things about other people, right? Like when you're asking someone, like, what, what do you do? Oh, I just, like, assume everything about anybody without context, without preconceived notion. I just have the wrong expectations, and I just run with it. Right? Like, like you'd be like, are you good? Like, you don't want to be good at assuming things about people. But the truth is, is the disciples in this moment, in this next verse, in verse 6, act as really good assumers. And, and good assumers make for poor disciples. Good assumers make for poor disciples. Let me reread verse 6 to you. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? See, the disciples literally interrupt Jesus. Like, we're reading the text, and we kind of cut in the middle. But this is one of the funniest, strangest dynamics of conversation in Scripture. The, Jesus is literally, like, pouring out his heart to the disciples. He's like, I, I'm going to send a helper to you. There's promises for you stored up in heaven. And then the disciples are like, hey, hey, that's cool, Jesus. Um, what are you going to do about this Roman thing? Like, you resurrected kingdom, kingdom of God. Like, it's happening now, right? Like, that, that's going to happen now. They, they, they step in and they cut in. They assume where Jesus is going with this and they assume wrong. See, the view of, of Judaism at this time is that the Messiah, when he showed up, would also show up to crush all the rest of the nations that were oppressing them. That the Messiah would rule with an iron scepter. And this is eventually the case as, as Jesus' second coming in the millennial kingdom, as we'll read about in Revelation. But the truth is, is what Christians nowadays understand as Jesus' second coming and rule and reign the Jews at this time misunderstood for Jesus once he showed up to earth. Once the Messiah showed up to earth, this was all going to take place. And so before Jesus dies, they get it wrong. They, they think, okay, he's out. It, this is over. And then he resurrects. and like, oh, okay, everything's going to come true. Everything's going to go well for us now. He's going to overthrow Rome. We're going to be in power. Right, you remember that story uh, of the two disciples asking Jesus who's going to sit on his right hand and who's not. I think it's actually their mom that does it on their behalf, which is embarrassing. And they say, well, well maybe Jesus will finally do this king stuff, right? Well, well maybe Jesus will finally step into this. And, and in John 6, it, this actually already tried to happen. People were so swayed by Jesus' words that they try to make him king and he has to run away from them. It even happens in the Olivet Discourse that, that Jesus has to remind them all the things in Matthew 24, all the things the Father has appointed. No one knows the day or the hour in which my kingdom will fully take place. See, we do this all the time with God. We, we do this all the time, first of all, by, by taking plans and inviting him into it after the fact. But we think we have everything figured out, don't we, right, as humans? It's like, well, I've been on earth for approximately 25 years, so I have it dialed in. My brain's fully developed as a male. Yes. Right? Like, like this, is, this is how we step into life. Like, oh, I am a 21st century intellect. Yes, everyone else was wrong throughout history. Like, this is what we think about ourselves, especially in the West. But, but what if God has such a bigger picture 
for humanity and for our life? What, what if God ha- has painted such a beautiful artwork and masterpiece for us that he wants to invite us into, but because we're presuming upon his ga- grace, because, because we're jumping to conclusions about what he wants without actually going and asking and spending time in his word about it, we, we appropriate what God's desires are, and we take them out of context and make it, make it match our own agenda. And, and then so we begin to twist and, and convolute scripture and what Jesus has said to, to fit into our hatred of other people. We, we twist and we, we turn scripture to kind of justify where we stand in certain things and make sure we're always on the moral high ground with other people. This is really, really easy to do. But, but the truth is, is God has something so much b- more beautiful for y- our lives. God has such a better plan and outline for our lives than we can only imagine and think about. And so the question is, is how are we assuming in our own lives about but what God wants to do, but about what his bigger picture is? When, when we talk to people about the good news, what is the good news we're presenting? Do we get the big picture what the good news is, the gospel is? Or when we talk to people, are we inviting them into this weird paradigm that we made up because we thought Jesus said some stuff? Like, where do we stand when it comes to knowing Jesus? Because this is what he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and all the corners of the earth. And this is similar to his great commission in Matthew. Still stands true to this day. This is Jesus' instruction for his disciples to make his name known. But I have to ask you, to be a witness, you have to see something, don't you? Right? Like anybody ever do jury duty? Okay? Yeah. It's like two of us in the room, right? I've never done it. I want to, to get paid to like just comment about like, yeah, I think this guy did it. He looks suspicious, right? Like, kind of wild. But in jury duty, you have people in court, right? You ever watch Judge Duty? Right? It's all fake, right? It's all fake. I'm sorry. I had to tell you. It's fake. But we're so obsessed with this idea of like a courtroom because it's like, I was there and I saw him and it's over, right? And we're, we're, we're wild about who was the witness at the time of the crime in the scene. To be a witness, you got to see it. Have you encountered and seen Jesus, my friend? Or or are you riding off the coattails of somebody else's faith? Because the truth is, is God has no grandkids, right? That would be really cute, but he doesn't. He's got children. And and to be a child of God is to encounter the real and living Jesus. And to walk away from that instance and that moment so altered so desiring to be like him, so desiring to not go back to the way things used to be before meeting him, that you can't help but talk about who he is. Have we seen Jesus? Have we seen the real Jesus? Not American white Obi-Wan Kenobi Jesus, okay? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Facebook grandma post, my Lord and Savior. Have Have we encountered the Father, the Father's heart? It's so easy to get swept up in this idea, living in a nation who, where it seems, and it's less and less every day, sadly, but it seems like Christianity is just the normative thing. But we have to realize that in the first century, following Jesus was radical. Following Jesus w- w- just broke all barriers. It broke all norms. All, it broke all preconceived notions about what it meant to be human. That we've grown so comfortable and used to what we think Jesus is. Well, I went to this private school, and we read these verses, and I memorized them, and yeah. But it was like, what about, what about the ability? What about the power? Where that, where that comes from is I can't help but talk about who he is because I've been changed from the inside out from encountering him. 
As the prophet Jeremiah said, it's like fire caught up in my bones, right? God shows up where he's wanted. And and my fear is that as we grow more used to doing things, as Andrew mentioned during worship, that was so beautiful, uh, of just another week, another thing, how much more does God have on offer for us, but we're assuming upon what he already wants to do? This is the last idea, and, and this is in conclusion. Let's reread the last verse one more time. And it says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I think this is so hilarious. I, I think this is so funny. Okay, so Jesus corrects them. He's like, when I come back, no one knows. They're like, okay, cool. You're going you're gonna to have a second coming. Got it. Then Jesus like, how fast did Jesus ascend? You know what I'm saying? Like, was it like, or was it just like, bah! I don't know. Who knows? Maybe blink of an eye, Thessalonians, who knows? But I'm just curious about this, right? Like, the weird stuff, like, where they just stand in there, and it was just, like, really awkward. And then they just saw, like, his toes, and then, like, just, like, his robe. And then, yeah, like, I don't know. You got to think about these things, okay? Um, and then they're staring up, looking so long that God literally has to send two people to be like, guys, like, now, now is when you do it. Like, are they just like, like, maybe it'll be like five minutes? Do you think he'll come back? Maybe ten? Someone want to go get lunch in the back? Yeah, I got Uber Jerusalem. Okay. Like, like what? Like 2,000 years later, we're like still like, nope, nothing. But we're going to wait. See, if, if we want to do these things, if we want to be invited to the bigger picture, if we don't want God to just be at the tail end of our commitments, if we want him to be a part of all that we're doing, if we, want to, if we want to be faithful as people, we have to get our head out of the clouds and our feet on the ground. We have to get our head out of the clouds and our feet on the ground. That feels good to say. I just have to say that. We've got to get our head out of those clouds, man. There's work to be done. There's faithfulness to be had. Right? And it's been said uh, in many songs and poetry and films, young men never die. This is a phrase that's reiterated through different bands and, and different things. And the, the, the saying is that, we think we're invincible. We think we have unlimited time the younger we are. Like, I remember being in fifth grade, and it's like summer was permanent. And it was like, I can't wait to go back to school, right? Now it's like, how long is summer? Like, two weeks? I don't even know. It feels that way. But as we're young, we feel like we have all of life at our fingertips. Like, it's never going to end. And then and as we get older, we realize that's not so much the case. And for me, this has been a really sobering reality check this week because Something that will make you realize the, the brevity of life. That scripture says life is but a vapor, that, that you will realize that's so true. It is when you have people pass in your life and you realize, man, that was abrupt. Yesterday I actually found out about somebody passing. It was my first youth pastor. His name is Jay. He was 40 years old when he passed. Um, and it's crazy. Jay was this individual who um, every time you spoke with him, he, he would never look past you. He'd look you in the eyes. It doesn't matter how young or old you were. He gave you his time and, and, and his words. And he meant what he said. And he meant what he did with his time. And he was the first person to tell me, Nick, there's anointing on your life. God has something for you. As this little fifth grader, and he saw something because the Lord placed on his heart. He was faithful to that. 
And finding out he, he passed away, it just reminded me that, that life is, A, so unpredictable, uncontrollable. The amount of life you control in a day, I have to break it to you, is when you put on deodorant, if you do that. Okay, I don't know if you're all natural. Who cares? But when you put on deodorant, right, like if you're a control freak, it's like savor that moment. Like that's as much control as you're going to have. The moment you get in the car, especially in Albuquerque, New Mexico, come on now, got no control. Made me realize that, hearing about his passing. But the second thing is this, is the one thing, the two things we never get back, the two things we never get back are our time and our words. Our time and our words, we, we never get these things back. Once you say something, it's said, and it falls on ears, it's heard, right? Once you spend time doing something, it's not like, oh, I spent five hours yesterday doing this. So I hope that I get a surplus of five today. It's like, no, everybody has 24, and then one time in a year it's 23, and then 25 hours, right? Everybody has the same amount of hours in the day. You can always make more money. You can never get back time and words. And so I'm reminded of this in, in this passage because th these men are instructed by Jesus himself and th then they're told, get out there. The time is now. The, the time to step into the promises, to be bold, to be faithful. There's no more waiting. The three years is up. It, it's time to do this now. And, and if you want to know if you're following Jesus correctly, if you want to know if you're somebody who has your feet on the ground, being faithful to who he is. Look at how you spend your time and your words. Look at how you spend your time and your words. It's pretty easy to document how you spend your time. Just at the end of the day, write down how you spent your time that day. It, it, it's pretty easy to see how you spend your words. Do, do you spend your words tearing people down? Highlighting all the things that you really just don't like about them. Being negative. Complaining about America for the millionth time like everybody else is. Not doing anything about anything. Just airing grievances all the time being annoying, or, or, or do we spend our words in, in building people up and putting life into other people? If you look up to people in scripture, if you look up to people of faith in history, it's these two things they realized. They weren't perfect at it, but it's these two things they realized are commodities. They're valuable. But it seems that we have the opposite idea, that money, influence, power, is more ideal than, than time and faithfulness and words. And I've heard this phrase said many times, and as I get older, it makes more and more sense. Because the truth is, is how you spend your time and how you spend your words is what you value and what you worship. What you prioritize in your life is where your time goes. It's just the facts. And this phrase has been said by and many a pulpit, but it's this, if Satan can't have your soul, he'll settle for your schedule. If Satan can't have your soul, he'll settle for your schedule. I'm not talking about like he's going to put pentagrams in your schedule or something. I'm not, that's not what it means. But if Satan can't have you because you're sealed in Christ, he'll settle for distracting you with busyness. He'll settle with distracting you with stuff that you think matters so much. And then all week long, you're filling up your schedule, you're filling up your time, you're filling up your mind with this stuff that just doesn't matter. And I don't want to list off all the things that don't matter and that do, okay, but I want you to contemplate in your own life how you have stepped into maybe a season, maybe a time right now where, where you're just wasting your time, honestly. I think the greatest enemy to faith is just wasting time. We want to say like, oh, Satan's attacking me and I'm just under so much attack. It's like, no, you just need to stop binge watching HBO Max. Like, seriously. Like, like we are so caught up in stuff that at the end of our life, on our deathbed, 
more of us will have that than we want to admit, to be honest. Where we look back and, and what are the moments we're going to recount? Not to be dark and weird and heavy, but this is, this is stuff we got to think about. Th- this is stuff in, in secular environments they tell you just, just push it down, enjoy your life, figure it out later. Don't think about that. You'll be a depressing person. It's like, no, we need to think about these things. How is my life turning out to look more like Jesus or look more like my personal agenda? In my job as a pastor, it's one of my greatest responsibilities. It's one of my greatest joys, strangely enough. But it's sitting with people. It's sitting with people in their final hours. It's sitting with family members who, who are sitting at these hospital beds holding the frail hands of their family members. And the thing they always say, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how much money they made. It doesn't matter what race they are. It doesn't matter what faith or what anything they have. They say, I just want more time. Every time. I, I just wish I could have five seconds. So for us, I, I think we need to take a little deep dive tonight. Maybe in worship, maybe in conversation afterwards of where's my time going? And, and would future me, sounds weird, sounds cringy, but would future me be proud of where my time's going right now? Is future me looking more like Jesus, being shaped and molded more in the image of Jesus, the process of sanctification, as scripture would call it? Or is it becoming some weird, convoluted version of something that I think I want to be? So if it's okay, I, w- I want to close this in prayer. I want to pray over us that we be people who, we get our feet dirty. We're uncomfortable, man. Once you pray that prayer, just by the way, once you pray that prayer, Lord, make me uncomfortable. Woo! You better be ready. You better have those shoes laced up. Because God's going to put people in your path. He's going to put you in situations where it's going to get uncomfortable. we got to be ready. We need, we need to be people who, who we, we, we're ready to step into things. We don't have our head in the clouds. We're not somewhere else. We're not distracted. We're locked in. We, we need to start realizing that God has a bigger picture for each and every one of us. And it's a bigger picture that maybe not what society paints. doesn't look great and sexy, but, but it's, it's faithfulness. And it's beautiful and it's fulfilling. And we, we've been wasting time. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are. Lord, uh, you were the perfect example of somebody who you used every second. And God, we want to look to you, your, your son, how he lived life, the rhythms he established, the faithfulness he displayed, the intentionality he had with people. Lord, we believe you did those things, not as God, but, but as man. God in, in the flesh of man. And you set it as an example for us. That, that we can follow after you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, you will give us the ability to do that. That we have to rely on religion or, or do good, get good, or the law. Or hopefully we didn't sin enough so you could use us that day. But the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit to be within us as your promise. So, Lord, I pray over my friends. I pray over myself. God, if there's any area I've wasted time, if there's any area I've been working on crafting an image of myself versus growing more into the image of who you are, Lord, correct that. Lord, I just pray that you may convict us by the power of your Holy Spirit tonight. If there's anything in our life we we have shut you out, we have not involved you, that we may just step fully into 
what it looks like to be a part of what you're doing. So, Lord, give us discipline, give us strength, give us conviction. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship.